This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide. Agriculture is Saskatchewan, and 620 CKRM is your source for everything ag. Welcome to our newly expanded Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. Here's your host, Jim Smalley. And for Jim Smalley, I'm Josh Sickerton. Welcome to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today, brought to you by Harvard Western Insurance. We don't judge. Here's another reminder to renew your plates today. Visit harvardwestern.com and brought to you by the Arcola Co-op, offering fuel, food, and drinks on Highway 13. Arcola Co-op, you're at home here. Today on the show, we have a feature interview about fava bean production in the province and on-farm and on-farm research. There's an in-depth look at, at the markets, and the farm weather is in its usual spot at the bottom of the hour. This is Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with 620 CKRM Agri-News Director Jim Smalley. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Johnston's Grain, helping growers contract any type of grain. Call 1-800-324-7778. And Mazink Fuels, your local branded Petro-Canada wholesaler for over 40 years. Fill up the, tall, fill up the tank, call Mazink. 306-721-6667. Statistics Canada is reporting an 8.2% increase in national canola area compared to one year ago. The 22.5 million acres likely reflects higher prices from strong export and domestic crusher demand. Saskatchewan farmers planted more than half of the total of at 12.1 million acres, up 6.9% up 6, from 2020. Alberta is reporting... 6.7 million canola acres, an increase of 14.5%. While canola was higher, Canadian wheat area was 6.5% lower. Spring wheat declined 8% to 16.5 million acres, while germ decreased 2.8% to 5.5 million acres. The numbers were very similar in Saskatchewan, with spring wheat area at 7.4 million acres, down from 7. down 7.7%. Nearly 10% more barley was planted this year with a national total of 8.3 million acres. Saskatchewan saw a larger increase of 19% to 3.7 million acres. Higher prices for feed barley attracted producer interest as China purchased large amounts over the past year. On the other hand, oat area in Saskatchewan fell by 11% to 1.6 million acres. Statistics Canada suggests farmers chose to, pl- chose to plant crops with higher prices. Looking at the Saskatchewan numbers for the pulses, lentil and pea area for, are both down from last year. Peas fell nearly 10% to 2.1 million acres, while lentils were down a half a percent to 3.8 million acres. You're listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. Covering for Jim Smalley, here's Josh Sigerson. This portion is brought to you by Prairie 6-inch ease troughs. An inch makes a big difference. PrairieEavesTroughs.ca The first protein fractionation plant for fava bean is slated to begin operations this fall. It will be located in an existing mill near Legal, Alberta, just north of Edmonton. The facility will continue producing a substitute for peanut butter with a feedstock switch from peas to fava beans. Brad Gowdy from Melford is the president of Faba Canada. He talks about current faba bean production in the parkland regions of Saskatchewan and Alberta. I wouldn't necessarily say we're seeing more yet. There's definitely more interest in them. They seem to grow very well in the parkland. So the acres that are being grown are definitely consolidating in the northern third uh, growing region. Gowdy outlines the interest in fava beans. Everybody's looking for another crop to add to the rotation. Uh, One of the concerns, especially in the parkland, is the um, increase of clubroot infection in a lot of different areas. 
And one way to do that is to try to spread canola out a little further in the rotation. And fava beans are a good fit in the parkland because they are resistant to aphanomyces, which is another disease that affects peas and lentils. And uh, they can handle the, uh, the higher levels of uh, rainfall and moisture. He compares fava beans to peas. Fractionating peas or fabas is very similar. The advantage that we have with fava beans is that they are higher in protein than what peas are. And uh, they're also, the, the aftertaste in them is much milder than what, what we have in peas. So we could fractionate peas in our mill as well, but uh, feel that there's advantages to fava beans. He also outlines a new type of fava bean. Yeah, one of the issues with fava beans over the years is uh, some anti-nutritional factors uh, or properties. Um, so the ones that we're most concerned about are called uh, visine, convisine. They're linked to a health issue called favism. It's not that prevalent in North America. It, it's a bigger deal in the Middle East and uh, or in the Mediterranean region where they eat um, uh, quite a lot of fava beans. But uh, it's just something that by having that bread out in our new variety makes it just that much uh, safer health-wise. He shares some of the details on the new plant being built near Edmonton. I've mainly been in the Melfort region, but just really believed that there was a real opportunity to expand fava bean acres and the industry by getting into fractionation. But there's quite a high cost to setting up a fractionation mill and especially if you start from scratch with a bare field. So I had been running meetings across Saskatchewan and Alberta and was made aware of a facility north of Edmonton that was uh, available uh, that we could buy reasonably inexpensively. It would allow us to get started without a, a huge expense and save probably a year and a half in time to get rolling. So with that facility, we'll only be able to run one line of production, but that line will help us prove out that we can reach the kind of uh, protein levels that we say we can, and uh, then look at putting up another facility in Saskatchewan at some point as well. Gowdy compares it to a test run. I wouldn't necessarily say we're seeing more yet. Yeah, it, it's much bigger than that, but it is a... Uh, it, it will be a bit of a, a proving out for sure. Gowdy says production should begin in October with 16,000 metric tons as the goal for the first year. We're going to um, have our official share offering start this week. Uh, we've got uh, most of the money committed already. But uh, one of the things that I want to do is give opportunity for farmers to be part of this and uh, invest in it. Uh, we really want this to be a, a win for or growers across both provinces. Brad Gowdy is the president of Faba Canada, which is establishing the first protein fractionation plant for faba beans near Legal, Alberta, just north of Edmonton. Time now for Real Agriculture with Sean Haney. Brought to you in part by Karst Holdings in Assiniboia and Schlamps Integra Tire in Grenfell. Your locally owned Integra Tire dealers on The Source 620 CKRM. This is your realagriculture.com update brought to you by the Canola School. Get canola agronomic information when you need it on your smartphone, tablet, or laptop. Our library of timely agronomic information is free and available at canolaschool.com.
Sean Haney here with realagriculture.com and Real Ag Radio, joined right now by Kent Backus. He's the Senior Director of International Trade and Market Access at NCBA, based out of Washington, D.C. Kent, how are you? I'm good, Sean. Good to join you. Yeah, it's great to chat with you. So, Kent, interesting, recently the NCBA put out a, a position to USDA talking about how potential changes for this product of USA label. Um, why the suggestion of the changes? So uh, with product of the USA is a generic label that the Food Safety Inspection Service uh, approves. And essentially, a retailer can use that or a supermarket can use that uh, to apply to, to any product uh, as long as it's passed through a, an FSIS-inspected facility. And so for us as producers, you know, we had a lot of uh, concerns about, okay, well, uh, how descriptive is that term? Uh, that's not a label that is rewarding producers, but they're obviously marketing on our reputation. And so there were concerns that this, uh, this could be a label that, that could be applied to product, uh, products that are imported, uh, and passed through an FSIS inspected facility. And then at that point, do they become a product of the USA? There, so there's a lot of questions on, on how that marketing label would be applied. This was not this. This label has nothing to do with food safety. That is a completely def, uh, separate process. Um, and so we were, you know, we were uh, obviously a little concerned about uh, about the use of that label. And as a result of that, our producers brought forward uh, uh, a policy and and wanted to form a working group to investigate this to get a better understanding of it. And and that really unfolded over over several months. And as uh, as the staff person who uh, was part of that uh, investigative group, I can tell you we looked at retail outlets all across the United States and found that there were so many different ways that this label was being used. But we were even finding it on on products that were that were saying you know product of Uruguay and product of the United States. Well, which one is it? You know, and so that obviously resonated some concerns. And so we started looking into the overall process of approval and, and realizing that it really does come down to just a product coming through an FSIS inspected facility and being eligible to carry this label. And we don't think that's right. Uh, you know, this is a marketing label that, again, has nothing to do with food safety. And so we wanted to look at ways to uh, to address this issue because we feel that not only could it be misrepresentative of our producers, but it could also be misleading for consumers. And so we looked at we looked at what are the best ways that we can address this. Now keep in mind we're not the only ones that were looking at that. Uh, so you had groups that were coming in and saying, "Well, this is why we need mandatory country of origin labeling," and we were saying, "Well, hold on, pump the brakes there," because the last thing we want to do is trigger a trade war with Canada and Mexico. We need something that's going to be trade compliant. You know, to give a tangible example here for the audience, you could have a calf born in Montana comes in, you know, it's, it's, it's raised in Montana, it, it, enters a, it enters Canada, fed in a feed yard, fattened, and then goes down to Washington and is killed in a U.S. packing plant, it gets a product to USA label. And the, the trouble here is that this is not a, the system, the chain is not black or white. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of product moving back and forth as it, as it gets to that final destination of a, of a U.S. plant. And so, Sean, let's be perfectly clear. This, what we're asking for in the petition, does not apply to where the cattle are slaughtered. Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't. It, we do not have the country of origin on that. What we're asking for is <clears throat> to address the issue on the beef itself. Okay. And so, we fully recognize the integrated value chains that we have 
in in all three countries with the United States, Canada, and Mexico. It's very important that we keep that trade uh, successful and fluid because, again, we have cattle that are heading north to Canadian feed yards, and we have cattle that are coming in from, from Canada, and there's always a balance there. And because of the trade agreements we have, there's opportunities in both markets uh, for our cattle. But we do not want to see a restoration of mandatory country forage labeling. We make that perfectly clear in the petition. This has been your Real Agriculture Update. You can find out more about this issue or many others at realagriculture.com. It's your agri-weather forecast on The Source 620 CKRM. The official 620 CKRM farm weather is brought to you by Shepherd Realty in Regina, specializing in farm and ranch real estate in Saskatchewan. Call Harry, Justin, or Devin at 352-1866. And Moose Jaw Truck Shop, the number one choice for any diesel engine repair. Drop in, no appointment necessary, or visit moosejawtruckshop.com. Today we're still under that heat warning. It's sunny with the wind south at 30, gusting to 50 kilometers an hour with a high of 35 and a low of 21. Tomorrow will be sunny with the wind northwest at 30 kilometers an hour with a high of 33 and a low of 16. Sunday will be sunny with a high of 29 and a low of 14. Monday, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 23 and a low of 11. Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 23 and a low of 13. Wednesday, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 27 and a low of 16. And Thursday, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of 28. They're almost for this time of year. It's tw- around 25 degrees and the low is usually about 11. The sun rose at 4.52 this morning and will set at 9.13 this evening. Around the province right now in Estevan, it's 33. In Saskatoon, it's 35. Weyburn and Yorkton are also at 33. Moose Jaw right now, it's sunny and 33 degrees. And in Regina, it's mainly sunny with the wind south-southeast at 29, gusting to 39 kilometers an hour. And it's 32 degrees, but it feels like 39. Back in a moment. This spring, apply pre-emergent Edge Microactive Group 3 herbicide from Gowan Canada before seeding your canola. Maximize yield today and manage resistance tomorrow. Always read and follow label directions from Gowan Canada. You're listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. Covering for Jim Smalley, here's Josh Sigerson. This portion of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by McDougal Auctioneers. Get fair market value for your assets with an online auction through McDougal Auctioneers. McDougalAuctions.com And brought to you by Patterson Liquid System. Experts in liquid fertilizer distribution. Fertilizer's just better when it's wetter. Patterson Liquid Systems expect the best. On-farm research can be a powerful tool for farmers. Farmers often perform formal and informal trials during the growing season. Taryn Dixon is the resource manager for crop production and innovation with the Canola Council of Canada. Yeah, so on-farm trials can be a really good way to try out new products or practices. They try this out under the conditions that your farm are in your area. So it can also be a really good learning experience too. So as you go through the process of doing these trials, you kind of learn what you want to look for and what makes a good quality trial. So when you're looking at other trials down the line, you have a good idea when the data quality is really high. Dixon outlines some of the common on-farm trials. So there's a lot of input trials like uh, different nitrogen rates or nitrogen top dress. Kind of around now would be maybe... People will be looking at uh, doing sclerotinia, stemrot, fungicide trials, anything really that the growers are wondering about the impact of the products that they're, they're adding. Also, management trials like looking at seeding rates or seeding speeds, even looking at swath timing or straight cut timing. 
Um, and of course, uh, variety trials as well. She says some trials cover a couple of years. Yeah, so I mean, ideally to run more years of trials gives you more data and then kind of more confidence that the, the results you're seeing are due to the impact of the treatment rather than just due to chance or due to variations that year in, in weather or soil. So it's better to do more years, but um, if you aren't doing more years, then ensuring you have replication is another way to kind of get around that and still have more data. Dixon outlines some basic steps for comparison. Yeah, so having a check strip is is number one. Um, Ideally, if you could have four check strips, that would be best to, again, kind of having more data to make sure that the impact you're seeing is due to that treatment and not not due to other variations. As well, you want to control basically all the other variables that aren't that treatment. So treating the full fields equally uh, when it comes to any other applications or any other management, um, making sure that everything is applied at the same time and the same rate all across, except for that one treatment that you're testing. Yes, I should add that making sure things are well marked and if you have any farm employees that they know that that trial is going on so they can ensure that all those Um, Other variables are controlled and and nothing's changed in that treatment uh, versus the check strip. She says note keeping is very necessary. Yeah, keeping notes is very important. I mean, uh, you definitely want to keep track of what your treatment was, but you also want to record other things like the weather conditions or such as soil moisture um, and then any management things like seeding dates, harvest date, as well as if there's any insect pressures or disease pressures that year, other things that might kind of help you understand the results that you get at the end of the year. And especially if you're doing it in multiple years and you can kind of look at that, those notes from year to year and compare them. Dixon says there's more research information available on the internet. So there's a lot more information on the Canola Council website. Just under the research tab on the main page, If you scroll down to the bottom, there's a little bit on on on-farm research. And so we have some protocols and some data collection sheets that you could print out and and have a look at for more information on on those specific trials. Some of the ones we have there are the nitrogen trial, uh, variety trial, and feeding rate trials. Dixon adds further. When you're harvesting uh, the trials, I mean, the the yield is is a key part of this. If you have the option to use a weigh wagon, that would be ideal. If not, a grain cart can work. And kind of the, the last choice would be a yield monitor if, if that's the option that's available to you. And then just make sure um, you follow through with it. I know it's really tough at harvest. It's, time is limited, but just remembering how much effort was put in earlier in the season and realizing that the result that you find might have a have a decent impact on your bottom line if you realize, you know, a practice or a product is really having an impact or not having an impact. So keeping that in mind to take the extra time to finish up the trial really makes it all worth it. Taryn Dixon is the resource manager for crop production and innovation with the Canola Council of Canada. This is Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. Filling in for Jim, here's Josh Sigurdsson. This segment of Saskatchewan Agriculture Today is brought to you by Degelman Industries. Look to Degelman for the most reliable, dependable, engineered, tough equipment on the market. And SMHI. Farmers, get your hail insurance coverage with Municipal Hail at an RM office or directly online. Farmers using uh, farmers insuring farmers. Municipalhail.ca. 
The outside layer of wax that covers the exterior of plants provides a barrier against low temperatures and dehydration. Dr. Karen Tonino is a professor in the Plant Sciences Department at the University of Saskatchewan College of Agriculture and Bioresources. She has been studying, she's been studying cuticular wax for a number of years. The cuticle is the outermost layer of plants. Just like how you would think a wax to be, it will help to reduce the water loss from the plants and also it will help to prevent frost from entering into the plant. So it has a lot of different roles and increasingly it's uh, been shown to um, also be useful against a disease. So there's some disease resistance uh, there as well. Dr. Tadino has been doing the research for four years. In general, my lab is an abiotic stress lab. So that means we do research on cold stress, heat stress, drought stress, salt stress, all of those environmental stresses. And uh, our approach is to really try to help the plant or understand how the plant can avoid stresses. It's a lot easier for the plant to avoid the stress than to tolerate it. And by avoiding stress, for example, you know, we're working on, you know, seed treatments that may increase seedling vigor in the spring, increase earlier flowering maturity. So avoiding those midsummer heat stresses uh, and avoiding a fall frost. Also, you know, avoidance can also mean at the whole plant level, such as the cuticle layer, which can act as a barrier. Even at the cellular level, we're looking at plant cell walls and looking to see how they may act as a barrier. And we're looking at multiple stresses, not just one, because, you know, in the field, you know, who knows which is going to be the most prevalent stress that year. And increasingly, we're looking at not only abiotic stresses, but we're also interested in the biotic stresses, the disease and insects, and to see how these barriers may form a common protection against those multiple stresses. The synchrotron was used in the research. Yeah, I mean, we were the first uh, plant group uh, to use the Canadian light source on campus. And it was really, you know, a very unique opportunity. We were very lucky. You know, as you know, it's a national, it's a national facility, only one in Canada. And, you know, it's been said that, you know, we don't know what we don't know. But I also think that we don't know what we cannot see. So the synchrotron really enables us to see more clearly, more deeply, because it has the brightest light in Canada. In order to really have that resolution to see and to be able to understand what's going on, you really need that bright light. So, and it just happens to be five minutes walk from the agriculture building, so we're really lucky. I mean, there's over a thousand users from over 20 countries, but it's right here on our campus, so we may as well take advantage of it. So in terms of how we've used it in this cuticular wax study, we've used it to identify the quantity as well as the quality of those surface waxes. In um, We used Arabidopsis, but we've also used it in wheat and corn and, and other crops. Dr. Tonino says the goal is to obtain more information for plant breeders to produce better crops for farmers. You know, I'm a plant physiologist, 
So plant physiologists ask questions of how and why. We want to try and understand how a plant is, you know, adapting, how we can improve, or what are the key structures and elements that enable the plant to resist the stress. And if we can identify those, then the breeders can take that information and start to use it to select, to select more better adapted plants uh, and really increase the efficiency of that selection and speed it up so that then they can produce uh, varieties and cultivars for the farmers more quickly. Dr. Karen Tonino is a professor in the Plant Sciences Department at the University of Saskatchewan. She's studying how the waxy surface on plants provides safeguards against frost and drought. The market updates on the source, 620 CKRM. The market update is brought to you by Nelson GM in Assiniboia and Avonlea. If you're a Costco member, you can get huge savings on current 2019 and 2020 SUVs right now. And brought to you by Sask Pork, Saskatchewan's growing and vibrant hog industry creates economic spin-offs and career opportunities in our rural communities. Find out more at vi- found out find out more by visiting saskpork.com. Grain prices were showing upward movement in early trading today as canola rose $18 at 802.27. Oats increased $3 at 209.53 and yellow peas increased by $13.19 to 341.76. Number 1 red spring wheat wet fell by $9.75 at 345.67. The rest were all unchanged. Durham stayed the same at 317.83. Feed barley was at 254.65. Flax at 677.94. Lentils at 737.50. And feed wheat at 238.84. It's the Livestock Reports on the Source 620 CKRM. The Livestock Quotes are brought to you by the Weyburn Livestock Exchange. Call Weyburn at 842-4574. And now the latest Livestock Quotes. Good afternoon. This is the Heartland Livestock Market Report for the week of June the 30th. A decent size sale here with 400 cows and bulls, 200 feeders, 600 head through the ring here. Lots of cows uh, still coming to town here, not only here but across western Canada, causing more downward pressure on these cows. Cows are anywhere from 5 to 8 lower. The bulls are hanging in there, selling steady with last week. D1, D2 cows, 80 to 90, sales to 91, 92. D3 cows, 70 to 80. Cows are averaging 81 cents. Good bulls, 104 to 114, sales to 116, 117. Had a couple of hard yielding kind of bulls. They hit $1.23.25. Bulls are averaging 106. Onto the feeder market, on the steer side. 7 to 800 pound steers, 194 to 204, 8 to 9s, 180 to 190, and steers over 900 pounds, 153 to 163. On to the heifer side, 5 to 600 pound heifers, 190 to 207, 6 to 7s, 185 to 199, 7 to 8s, 170 to 195, 8 to 900 pound heifers, 160 to 174, and over 900 pound heifers, 140 to 165. Pay attention, producers. There is no sale on Wednesday, July the 7th. No sale on Wednesday, July the 7th. Our next regular sale for all class of cattle will be Wednesday, July the 14th. That's it for this week at Heartland Yorkton. Enjoy your summer, everyone, and stay cool somewhere this weekend. I'm Harvey Exner. Have a good day. 
And now the latest Saskatchewan pork prices. The SIG 4 in Brandon is trading at 238.74 per CKG. The BP4 TCP4 in Moose Jaw is also trading at 238.74 per CKG. Coming up, the resource report. This is the Saskatchewan Resource Report on 620 CKRM. Here's Jim Smalley. And now, the resource report, brought to you by the Prairie Co-op Grow Team Fueling Farms, Feeding Families, and Cupar, Ituna, Lipton, and Strasburg. Maple Leaf Foods Incorporated has signed a deal to buy four pig farms in central Saskatchewan from a group of companies known as Polar Pork. The agreement includes two sow barns and two nursery barns with the potential to supply 140,000 pigs. The company says it expects to invest up to $27 million in the barns over time, including acquisition costs and capital investments. Maple Leaf Foods says the deal is part of its plan to grow production at its pork processing plant in Brandon, Manitoba. The acquisition is expected to substantially increase the number of pigs it can produce in Saskatchewan, and the deal is expected to close in June 2022, subject to conditions. On the markets today, the TSX is down 35 points at 20,200. The Dow has gained 158 points at 34,792. Oil is down 0.4 cents at $75.19 US per barrel, and the Canadian dollar is up six one-hundredths of a cent at 81.03 cents US. That's the resource report. If you missed any segment of the show, tune into the On Demand Saskatchewan Agriculture Today podcast. Brought to you by Gowan Canada. Gowan Canada understands the challenges growers face and takes pride in finding effective crop protection solutions. Visit GowanCanada.com to learn more. That's Saskatchewan Agriculture Today. You've been listening to Saskatchewan Agriculture Today with Jim Smalley on 620 CKRM. If you missed any of today's broadcast, download the podcast now online at 620CKRM.com. Saskatchewan Agriculture Today, now starting after the 12 o'clock news on your voice for everything ag. 620 CKRM. This podcast brought to you by Gowan Canada, makers of Edge Microactive Pre-Emergent Herbicide.